On his first day in office, President Joe Biden signed an executive order on advancing racial equity and supporting underserved communities. The new policy could present an opportunity to implement lessons from health disparities research that target systemic racism. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Neil Agarwal, an Assistant Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at Columbia University and a research psychiatrist at the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Dr. Agarwal has written a perspective article about enhancing the effectiveness of the Biden administration's equity agenda. Dr. Agarwal, as you write in your perspective article, both Donald Trump and Joe Biden released executive orders related to diversity and systemic racism during the past year. Could you start by explaining the contents of Trump's executive order, which focused on diversity training? President Trump's order came out in September 2020. It was known as Executive Order 13950. And that policy prevented federal agencies and contractors working with federal agencies from holding diversity and inclusion training programs that were based on concepts that the Trump administration considered to represent what it called race-based stereotyping or scapegoating. Some of those concepts included terms like white privilege or systemic racism. And entities that didn't comply with President Trump's order would have been subject to fines, lawsuits, and terminations of contracts. And we see across the board that hundreds of organizations, including those within the medical and health sectors, like the American Medical Association, the American Nurses Association, and the American Hospital Association, denounced the policy. Within a few months, by December 2020, the United States District Court for the Northern District of California issued a nationwide preliminary injunction preventing the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs from enforcing President Trump's executive order. So to understand President Biden's executive order, it's important to understand the context in which President Trump issued his executive order. And in fact, in January, Biden revoked Trump's order as part of his own executive order on racial equity. So what are the key policies included in this new Biden executive order? They're very interesting. So first, President Biden defines equity in a very expansive way. And he defines equity as the consistent and systematic, fair, just, and impartial treatment of all individuals including individuals who belong to underserved communities that have been denied such treatment, such as Black, Latino, and Indigenous and Native American persons, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, and other persons of color, members of religious minorities, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer persons, persons with disabilities, persons who live in rural areas, and persons otherwise adversely affected by persistent poverty or inequality. It's a pretty expansive definition of equity. The order also specifies very clear tasks for senior government officials. For example, the United States Domestic Policy Council must coordinate with federal agencies to identify communities that the federal government has underserved and create policies supporting equity. The director of the Office of Management and Budget must work with agency leaders to conduct assessments that clarify barriers to obtaining access to federal benefits, services, and contracts, and to measure equity on the basis of race, ethnicity, religion, income, geography, gender identity, sexual orientation, and disability. 
They also have to study strategies to increase investment in underserved communities. And because federal data sets aren't disaggregated by variables like race, ethnicity, gender, disability, income and veteran status, there's an interagency working group that must identify deficiencies in data collection and start to identify possible solutions. So in fact, among the steps you suggest that the Biden administration could take to build on this new executive order is the idea of a single data management system with updated variables across federal agencies. So how are those variables as currently used insufficient? So if we look at different agencies, the way they define certain kinds of variables and how they conduct data analyses can differ. Therefore, it's hard to then suggest that there's a single data management system right now in place. If, for example, you look at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, there is an annual disparities report that they publish under congressional mandate. And the Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project relies on a method that combines race and ethnicity into a single variable based on definitions from 1977. When states report Hispanic ethnicity separately from race, analysis prioritizes Hispanic ethnicity over race categories for the purposes of uniform coding. We know that Hispanic ethnicity is a different kind of variable than race because people who belong to different types of races can be Hispanic, such as whites or blacks or people who identify as multiracial. Therefore, that kind of analysis seems outdated. In contrast, the Office of Minority Health asks organizations to collect race and ethnicity data separately through its blueprint for advancing the national standards for culturally and linguistically appropriate services in health and healthcare. So that's one example of how race and ethnicity data are treated differently across federal agencies. In addition, there are only two options for gender in their surveys, and there aren't multiple options that people can select for sexual orientation. Those of us who work in disparities research would suggest that there are now multiple options available for gender and for sexual orientation. Ideally, the federal government would start to use more updated options for variables like race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and gender. You say in your article that in healthcare, efforts to reduce inequities have typically targeted individual clinicians without holding institutions or systems accountable. How do you propose that the administration's equity agenda take into account contemporary understanding of systemic racism? I, like many other physicians or just clinicians in general, have had to go through cultural competence trainings that are uniquely targeted to individuals in clinical practice. But the critique of cultural competence training that is solely targeted for providers is that it doesn't necessarily change institutional cultures or how institutions relate across society and address systemic racism. So for example, if we understand systemic racism, we can define it as the interconnected social institutions that reinforce discriminatory beliefs, practices, and the distribution of resources. And so if we take an expansive view of systemic racism in line with what our colleagues in public health propose, we can start to see how underserved populations experience discrimination across society, such as the housing, education, employment, economic, healthcare, and criminal justice sectors. For years, scholars in law, medicine, public health, and the social sciences 
have described how housing segregation among minorities leads to higher policing activity, more criminal charges, and worse health outcomes. We also know, for example, that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services funds services in medical settings, but also schools, correctional systems, and housing developments. So what I'm proposing is that if we start to trace how such inequities cluster across different sectors, we might be able to see where disparities emerge and then to target solutions accordingly. You also talk in your article about the importance of engaging with the public, such as as by using community-based participatory research methods. So what steps do you see the federal government taking to explore those kinds of approaches? I think that the National Institutes of Health offer a great model for how to engage the public. So for example, the National Institutes of Health have different kinds of advisory groups that allow scholars and activists within the community to provide feedback based on what NIH policies are being discussed or to help fold agendas for research. And I believe that that kind of mechanism for engaging the public may be a way to then start to talk about how we can involve activists, scholars, citizens within the community to help craft the federal government's agenda. And when I specifically talk about people who are within the community, I don't mean just patients. I also mean people who are involved in providing services, such as people and organizations within states that receive federal services, benefits, and contracts. That could be providers, that could be grants administrators, that could be nonprofit organization leaders that receive granting money. And the idea is that we want to get a broad base of stakeholders to weigh in on different kinds of proposals. So that way, trust is built, that people set priorities jointly, and that the community has an ability to provide input on how to support reforms. That way, the federal government is not dictating these kinds of programs to beneficiaries, but also bring beneficiaries along in its approach. Finally, beyond the executive order, what actions could Congress or the administration take to promote health equity more broadly? I know that different agencies within the healthcare space support different programs in various sectors. I mentioned how, for example, CMS funds services across different settings. The Department of Veterans Affairs also funds services that include occupational, vocational, and housing sectors. And so I think it would be very interesting to see how these inequities start to cluster, not just within medicine, but also have ripple effects. So for example, if veterans of color are discharged from VA facilities, do we see disparities among those who are eligible for veteran-supported housing? I think Congress could start to request reports on an annual basis to see what work federal agencies have done and where that work needs to go moving into the future. Thank you, Dr. Agarwal. 